Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the what may be maybe the one and only podcast episode from clipdad.com where I'm going to talk to the uh, podcasting attorney, Gordon Firemark, about the legalities of royalty-free music in podcasts and not-so-royalty-free music in podcasts as well, and just, I guess, music and entertainment in general, which uh, I first found out about Gordon about, uh, I think about three years ago, I was looking up uh, on how to legally use music and short films that I was making. And it was mainly just so I wouldn't get yanked off of YouTube, I hate to say, but uh, really like the morality of it is that you shouldn't steal people's music and use it in videos. So that that's why I had Gordon on the show, is I basically uh, uh, wanted to clarify just the legalities of royalty-free music versus uh, music through publishing companies and uh, the different aspects of music and how it relates to podcasting specifically, because I know that there are different rules as far as film and podcasting and everything like that goes. How's it going tonight, Gordon? Uh, everything's great, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. It's, it's kind of like you're, you're a celebrity to me because... <laughs> You know, I've had a lot of questions. I'm famous in my own mind. <laughs> well, to, not in your own mind, you know, on YouTube. So it's like I, uh, you know, when I started this business about eight months ago, uh, which is basically a royalty-free music website, I was, I had no idea what royalty music, right, royalty-free music really was even. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do a lot of research and uh, your YouTube videos really clarified it for me. And I'm like, oh, like as long as I lay this out, I should be all set here. And, you know, uh, you know, like in text, like a list of do's and don'ts and whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, it's really kind of helped me get started. And, you know, you know, I, I mean, I hate to say like I am only eight months in, so I'm pretty sure that I'm not a hundred percent legal, but like, but I, I think I'm mostly, you know, on board with the legalities of it. But, uh, and you also have your own podcast, the entertainment law podcast as well, right? It's called Entertainment Law Update, and uh, yeah, I've been doing that since 2009, and I have a co-host in the Dallas, Texas area. She and I connect up once a month to do a, a roundup of case law, legal news, and stories in the uh, entertainment field, um, you know, about mostly American law, and uh, uh, we have a good time doing it. So we're on 127 episodes. Wow, that's quite a, uh, you reached the centennial marks, that, that's amazing. Yeah. So a lot of podcasters give up today, you know, they do like maybe like 20 episodes and then like they fail, but at 127, you're in it for the long haul probably. Well, yeah, I mean, we do a monthly show, so that isn't, uh, you know, that's a lot of years. <laughs> but, oh, uh, so, so yeah. you, that's like a once a month show or maybe a twice a month mm -hmm. show and you have 127 episodes. So you've been involved in podcasting since the, the early days, it seems like, if you were to mathematically figure that out. Yeah, the beginning of, of, uh, the beginning of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I discovered podcasting when a guy named Leo Laporte started doing a, a podcast. He was a TV host that I was following, and he started a podcast, and I thought, oh, that's cool. And then, you know, a year or so after I started seeing his show happening, uh, I was invited to be a guest on a show, and having been an audio guy, I figured out how to hook up the mics to the computer, and that kind of thing. And one thing led to another, and I started my own show. This was now two, 2009, so we're in our 12th year of podcasting. Wow, that's great. So that kind of makes you a podcast pioneer if you think about it. You know, it's like a, even like Joe Rogan experience was around, what, in like 2012 or something was the first episode? Something like that, yeah. yeah. So, no, I definitely 
one of the <laughs> the OG <laughs> old original gangsters. That's so. great. It's like Keith and the Girl, Gordon Firemark, Adam Curry. No, <laughs> <laughs> won't go quite that far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice so, company, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's. Uh, I used to listen to Keith and the Girl back in the day, and oh, yeah. uh, that, that was a great show. And uh, so, do you have an intro song for your podcast? We have a little musical doohickey that I actually cobbled together, you know, being a sound guy before I, I was able to grab some, some royalty free clips and cobble them into something. And, you know, it is what it is. It's, I wouldn't call it musical talent, but, uh, <laughs> musical cut and paste, I guess. And it's your own original music? No, it was, yeah, it was a clip. Actually, I think I got it originally. I found it originally in the, uh, garage band library of, of, uh, uh, clips and, and effects. And then uh, when I realized I wanted to use it for my show open, I, I checked the library uh, license and I realized that wasn't going to fly. So I went and tracked it down and got it from, I forget which royalty free house it was at the time. Uh, but uh, now it's been absorbed by one of the big ones. So music in GarageBand is not royalty free? It is royalty free for certain limited purposes. And as soon as you go into commercial use, it becomes a a question mark and being a lawyer i look at question marks and think hmm, let me make sure i get this right <laughs> so, yeah right uh, it, it ended up costing me a hundred bucks royalty free from that royalty free house that actually controlled it so it wasn't a big deal yeah that, that's not too bad just to make sure you know if you're going to be using it for 12 yeah. years you want to make sure that on the front end that everything lines up and at the time, they didn't know what a podcast was, and I was educating them. And since I'm an entertainment lawyer, I drafted the license, and it gave me rights in perpetuity and all media, now known and hereafter devised, and all the good language that I'm sure they would never dream of granting. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's amazing. And uh, so, But if you create your own sounds in GarageBand, then... Yeah. But oh, you yeah, use it's original effects. with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, but if you use a loop, like, that probably muddies the water a little bit as far as, you know, what is yours versus like, if you use say like a bass loop, then the melody is intrinsically there and you're kind of building yeah. on top of it. So you, they could probably make a case that you're actually using the music for, uh, whatever the wrong purpose, maybe. Yeah. I think you have to, the, the, the real point here is you have to check and, and make sure you can't just rely on, Oh, it's from garage band or, Oh, I, I got this in, in, uh, uh, whatever audio tool you're using and assume that it's yours for free for any purpose you want. You've got to read the fine print, read those end user license agreements. And, and the same is true if you're going online and, and, uh, purchasing or you're subscribing to a, uh, a library of royalty free music. You've got to make sure that it covers you. There's, there's a few out there that, uh, end up taking podcasters by surprise. And, uh, that's part of what I'm here to <laughs> try to make sure people aren't taken by surprise. Right. So if, if a royalty-free site has like a list of do's and don'ts on it, and uh, I mean, is that, how far does that get the actual site in legal purposes? You, you can rely to that, rely on that information to an extent, but the real license agreement is the, is the you know, the governing document. They have to look at, and so when you when you make a decision to purchase something, you've got to check and make sure that the actual license that they grant covers your intended use. The big issue for podcasters is 
they find a piece of music and they license it and it's licensed, you know, the license seems to be fine and then you realize it's only for a single use. And then there becomes this question of, well, is a single use, if I use it as the, um, uh, the opener for my show and I do that show every week or every month, now I'm, I'm, is that one use or is that 50 uses a year? And then do you have to go back and pay for that license every single time? That's not really royalty free. <laughs> when you think about it. So the term royalty-free is a bit, well, there, there's no clear legal definition of what that means. It means usually that it's a single purchase price for the license and there's no back-end compensation due to the owners of that copyright. I see. And I'm guessing with podcasting, it's kind of a different medium if you think about it. You know, it's like films and things like that are more tangible, whereas podcasting is, they say downloads, but you don't actually download it anymore. It's still kind of, it's still a stream. So it's kind of like, I'm guessing that maybe they can get by on the same rules as like how Spotify kind of skirts around those old uh, music deals. Kind of well, I, I'm, I'm going to actually, I'm going to take issue with what you said, that it's not a download, they're, that they're, they're not really downloads anymore, because even a stream, if you get into the real technical engineering nitty gritty of it, is what was really characterized as a progressive download. The bits are changing, you know, the, the, the data is moving from one place to the other. It is not like a broadcast over the radio where there's, you know, there's nothing in between. So technically it is a download and um, we've sort of decided as a, as a international community that a stream is going to be treated like a public performance covered by a public performance royalty, uh, or, or PPO, uh, kind of a situation, but that the download part of it isn't. And, uh, I'll, I'll say I, that some podcatcher software does still download because, you know, if you can take your phone on an airplane and turn it into, you know, take it off the internet and still listen to the program. That's downloaded. It's living on your phone. That's a copy. That's a good point. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I do that all the time, actually, when I listen yeah. to like podcasts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, as far as, uh, you know, like I always think of podcasting as, well, I'm a big Howard Stern fan going all the way back to the nineties, but sure. like yeah. I always think of podcasting in the same way that I think of radio, uh, I know that there are different rules, you know, as far as syncing and things like that go, but like, I mean, podcasting, isn't it more or less a, a similar kind of medium because you're taking uh, spoken audio content and then you're mixing it with either pieces of music or whole songs. So, I mean, is, are the rules that vastly different or are the rules vaguely similar on that? I would say that the medium feels similar to a lot of people, especially people who have come up from the radio, um, either as radio audience or radio um, uh, creators, you know, broadcasters. As a practical matter, I think that they are different enough media that we have to think about them a little differently. Um, one of the areas that, that I, I'm on a little bit of a crusade is that everybody who records a podcast with a guest should have that guest uh, execute a, you know, sign a release document that gives them permission to record and use the the content and uh, you know distribute it in any media without any revocability or anything like that. So, Robbie, since we're talking about it, I'll say I hereby grant you the authority to record my voice and to use the proceeds of that recording in any and all media, whether now known or hereafter devised, for any and all purposes in perpetuity. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now, I love that. So, 
you would never hear of a radio station or radio DJ asking someone who calls in to sign a release, right? So there's a difference. One of the differences is that radio is ephemeral. The broadcast happens, it's over, it's done. There may be an air check recording somewhere as sort of evidence in case there's ever a problem, but it's very unusual that that air check recording ever becomes you know, widely distributed. Now, radio stations are getting into doing podcasts, they have gotten into doing podcasts and things like that as well, so they're making the, the transition into this um, more permanent, evergreen media kind of a, an environment. And they, too, are having to deal with the fact that it's no longer just an ephemeral transmission of a, of a copyright or a, of material. There's a recording being made, and it's being distributed, and that in, uh, invokes different copyright rights that are covered, you know, for copyright owners. So um, I, I think the media are a little bit different. And that's why it's hard for someone to do a podcast that is essentially a music-oriented radio show. You can't just spin records and, and pop in in between with a short break. If you're doing critique and commentary of the of the music, you might be able to do something. Uh, but, you know, Spotify has just introduced a new uh, podcasts with music, I think is what they're calling them. And their rules, in order to comply with their licensing, uh, their deals with the record labels, is it has to be a certain amount of talk in between the song. I think it's 10 minutes of talk per song played or something like that. So it really isn't tune in here and get your music, get your fill of music. It's tune in here and get your fill of this host with a little music on the side. So I think that's different. Yeah, I just actually started a music podcast with my friend with Anchor and Spotify, that whole yeah. combo there. And uh, right. I'm, I have uh, a few hundred songs on Spotify. I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I'm kind of, uh, I mean, I don't like their business model, but it, it, by the same token, like my eight fans... Uh, kind of, uh, they wanted my music on Spotify, and they actually reached yeah. out to me because they, um, uh, I they wanted my music on Spotify. So, and I decided yeah. it would be good for SEO and things like that. And mm -hmm. plus, I just I want my music to be heard at the end of the day, not like, you know. And yeah. I don't have any records for sale or anything like that. So I found for me it was a good medium, even though I'm kind of against it. But like, what's well, your opinion on Spotify in general, and just this new relationship with? It seems like they're gobbling up the whole field of podcasting. If well, you know, let's remember that Spotify is is sort of two different kinds of businesses. One, well, I mean, look, they're a subscription business. If you want to get good, you know, get your music and have it delivered your way, you sign up and you, you become a subscriber with Spotify, and you get the playlists and you get to listen to pretty much any song out there nowadays. And they pay their royalties based on the the stream um, to the PPO, excuse me, the PROs, and uh, that that's how the composers and the artists essentially get paid that business model I, I unfortunately well, fortunately or unfortunately it is the it is the way we are now and it's been that way for quite some time the podcasting arena um spotify also sort of does two things one is they'll they'll put lots of podcasts on their service so their users their listeners their subscribers can access podcasts without having to go to a different tool or a different app on the phone or whatever but they also have some shows that are exclusive. The Joe Rogan Experience, for example, has now become an exclusive podcast on Spotify. I don't technically think that's a, a podcast anymore. I think the definition of a podcast is is a uh, 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 an audio or video program that is distributed by an RSS feed that's basically open and accessible to anybody on the internet. So once you get into that exclusive content arena, um, we're you know, we're sort of arguing about the the name the name we give it, but. It's a little different, 
And, uh, you know, they are a subscription service, like Netflix is, or HBO is a subscription service. And so you, uh, you're paying for access to what's in their library. And then, yeah, as a podcaster, I feel like, well, if, if my stuff is also in their library, some people are paying for access to that. Shouldn't I get a little slice of that? And that's not going to happen. So, uh, for someone like you, for a musician, you want your music accessible to as many audience members as possible. And, you know, they're going to find it one way or another, but if they can find it on their favorite tool, they're more likely to listen more often and tell their friends and spread the word. And that's what being a musician really relies on. Yeah, yeah, I see your point there. Um, I, I really, I, I didn't like, uh, I think his name is Daniel Eck. I didn't like his statement about like, oh, like if you're not happy with the money that you're making, you know, just make more music because like for some people yeah. that's the difference between like, oh, like, um, I'm making $3 a year on through Spotify versus mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll be making like $6 a year on Spotify. It's like it, at the end of the day, if like you I make do. twice as much music, <laughs> which costs a lot, right? You, exactly. So, so that statement to me, like regardless of what the situation is or what people, you know, uh, it's like kind of the devil, you know, situation, but like yeah. regardless of people, if people want to use it or not, it's like I thought that that statement was really insulting to like musicians it's everywhere. <laughs> callous and insensitive to the realities of what musicians go through to make the music happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in my case, like, you know, I I just took my Bandcamp catalog and put it on Spotify because mm-hmm. it's just I thought it was better than it's a much yeah. more seamless. I mean, I use Spotify myself, and I think it's. Sure. The reason why I use it is because uh, when I listen to bands that I really like or podcasts that I really like for that matter, what I love about it is that it just jumps me to something else that I really like that I didn't even know of before. So it's almost like get that, uh, not only do you listen to the stuff that you like, but it's get that Pandora aspect of it. The discoverability and recommendation engine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I love. That's what I used to love about Pandora as well is that, you know, you could really uh, get turned on to some new stuff through that. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Great. Wow. I was going to ask you that later in the conversation, Gordon, but you like telepathically, uh, predicted <laughs> my, my questioning. So, <laughs> so, so we can, uh, save that for the next conversation, I guess, to talk about Spotify. So now we can get to the nitty, nitty gritty of what I wanted to ask you about, which is, uh, why is royalty free music? Well, you kind of answered that with the, uh, you can use it repeatedly, but why else is royalty free music good for podcasts? Well, it, you know, let's budget. <laughs> That's the main reason, right? You know, royalty-free. So what royalty-free music seems to mean, you know, for most of us is pay once for the music and use it, you know, however you intend to use it. As I said earlier, one of the problems is that that pay once still depends on a clarity or lack of clarity about pay once for what kind of use. Can I use it? over and over and over again, or can I use it only one in one production? And if it's one production, is a podcast episode a production, or is a series of podcast episodes all considered one production? So we, this is what we lawyers do, is we parse things and, and uh, drill down into the meanings of the sentences. Um, but the, you know, the idea of royalty, well, let's talk about what the idea of a royalty is first, is that normally with a, you know, a piece of music, when you use it in, a, uh, in some, some kind of a product or, or in a program, the expectation is that the uh, artist, the record label, the publisher, and the songwriter are going to get paid on an ongoing basis from 
uh, use fees, essentially. Royalties are sort of like use fees. So when you, when you have, you know, you have the ASCAP or the BMI or whatever, uh, you're in the UK, so it's PRS, right? Um, and, uh, these per performing rights societies collect, um, for the public performance of the music. And there's sometimes royalties for physical copies, like if you were to sell, uh, records of, uh, you know, of your know, recordings of your show. The expectation would be that the owners of copyrights embodied in your work would be paid a percentage or, or a fee on a per unit basis. Per play or per download or per, uh, sale of a, of a physical copy or something like that. So what royalty free means is no, we only do it. You, you buy the license once, you use the music, you never have to worry about paying for it again. And the, the broadcasters wouldn't have to pay, you know, the, the PRS side of it isn't a part of it as well. So that's the intent of the term royalty free. Uh, of course, you know, if you've got a big catalog of very famous music, you're probably not going to be inclined to sell things on that term, on those terms without a fairly large dollar amount for a buyout, essentially. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I did kind of need some, even though I run a royalty-free website, I hate to say I did actually need a little bit of clarification on that, so yeah. thank you. Um, and, you know, as far as uh, uh, Creative Commons goes, I wanted to ask you about that. So I, I'll just kind of like, maybe I shouldn't even admit some of the stuff on this podcast in a public forum, but I kind of uh, almost like, I didn't copy word for word on the on the record, but I did kind of. Uh, um, I was inspired by the Creative Commons 4.0 uh, license, but instead, because it is podcasting, I just kind of uh, I imply that they're to give credit, but I don't. So so like for podcasting, I don't uh, necessitate that they have to give credit every single episode in the notes, you know, because. Um, the credit for the the music on my website it's kind of like a little bit long because I, I want the the website credited and stuff like this. But is Creative Commons even like a valid thing that holds up in court? I kind of don't get it. It is so to explain a little bit. It, it helps if we start with you know what is copyright? Copyright. Look, an author who creates a work is the owner of the copyright in that work, and they have certain exclusive rights to make and distribute copies and perform and display the work and make derivatives and those kinds of things. Um, the other end of the spectrum is the public domain, where something is either old enough or it's been dedicated into the public domain, which means nobody owns it, it's free for everybody to use. Well, a number of creators, the Creative Commons came along when a number of creators realized, well, wait a minute, I don't need to be paid for what I've done as long as I get credit and as long as the people who are using my stuff also don't expect to be paid and, and, you know, and, and, and or other, uh, conditions. And so what the Creative Commons license is, is essentially a contract between the, the owner of the copy, the owner of the copyright, which still persists. It's not, it's not fair to say that it's not copyrighted, but the owner of that copyright is saying, look, you can use my stuff provided on these conditions, provided you do the following things. And credit is one. Non-commercial is one of the conditions that some of them require. Uh, share and share alike is another component where they basically, if you use my free stuff in yours, you have to give your stuff away for free as well. And I think there's a fourth one. I forgot what that fourth variant is. But there are, so there are these four or five different flavors of Creative Commons license depending on what conditions are going to apply to that song. And the, and the owner gets to say, yeah, you can use it for free as long as you comply with these terms. 
So you, what it is, a contract. It doesn't have to be, you know, a piece of paper with wet blue ink on it in order to make a contract. And um, by choosing to use the music under the Creative Commons license, you're agreeing to those terms. So it's valid. It's binding. Great. And like on my website, if I may ask this, you know, I pretty much just, I went off a Creative Commons 4.0 license yep. for all my royalty-free music. But mm -hmm. then in addition to that, I kind of like adjusted the wording a little bit. And to, because actually my do's and don'ts, quote unquote, uh, for the, what you can do with the music mm -hmm. and what you can't is slightly different than the 4.0 license. So it didn't really pertain to me exactly. So I just kind of made my own and put it on my site. Uh, and you have to read that before you're able to download any music off my site. It's like before. Right. So in other words, it's not like you can just like click download and then use it. And then yeah. below is the terms. The terms are like above or to the side of the right. music. So, I mean, right. is that legal? Is that good? Is that not good? Yeah, I mean, if I, I think in a perfect world, I would want the licensee, that is the user of the music, to have a, a, phys not a, phys a downloaded copy of the license that was issued at the time that they downloaded. So, yes, they've checked the box and they've said, yes, I agree to these terms and then the download starts, they ought to get the, the text file of that license as well as the, the data file of the music. But, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's perfectly legal, especially if they've clicked a text box or, 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 or typed in, yes, I agree, or something like that. Yeah, um, well, I use Wix. I'll just be honest with it, about that. Yeah. So I have no way to kind of attach a document to the... Okay. To the, uh, the, well, you the could fun. also just have a link. Here's our document. Make sure you download it so you have a copy on your system, you know, something like that. Because if you change the terms later on, they want to be able to say, well, but I downloaded it under the terms on, on November 12th or 13th. It's 13th. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Um, to, that's to protect them as much as anything. Yeah, that's a great point because I just kind of like I've been advising people just to screenshot the, yeah, the that terms. Works. Uh, but maybe I should actually put the text on the website, like screenshot these. <laughs> Do you think that that's good or is that even necessary or is it just, is it okay enough just to have the rules on there? What do you, what's your opinion on that? Uh, yeah, like I said, I think it, you, you definitely should have the terms of use on the website anyway. You know, it's, it's actually, uh, that's the contract between you and your customers. So uh, I think it, it should be somewhere where they a link that they can go to and view it on the on the page, and I uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have that accessible as a download of a PDF or just a plain text file or something with a date stamp, you know, so that um, there's some clarity about about uh, when things were said a certain way, and then if you ever make a change, you know, they've got that record of what it was on the day they made the download. But yeah, I think. You know, the more transparency there can be, the more those rules are visible and, they, and they've had to pass through the rules page before they can access the download page. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a great point, Gordon. Yeah, I think I'm going to adjust it after this conversation, actually. Because, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me see. What was I going to ask you next? I was going to ask you, uh, what should people look for in a royalty-free music website? Well, I think you want... A, that's a great question. I, I think you want to know that whoever you're dealing with is reliable. They're going to still be there in a in a bit, um, especially if it's a if you're subscribing or paying some money. You know, you want to make sure you're doing business with somebody reputable. Um, and and the, yeah, those terms should be out there and available for you to look at without having to make a purchase first. Uh, so you can see is this what I need? What rights do I get when I make a 
this purchase of this license? And uh, more importantly, maybe what rights don't I get? Does it cover everything I need to do? So yeah, the more transparency the, the website provides, the better. Cool. And do you think that there's a market for an edgy kind of uh, cult music, maybe even like punk rock or like like really, because the punk rock that I see on most royalty-free sites, it's not punk rock. It's like really like this generic kind of commercial sounding, I, I not to mention any names, but every time I've ever looked up punk rock on a royalty-free site, it's always like complete, not, it's like the the most establishment pro-establishment music that I've ever heard. So do you think yeah, that it, there's, it, a, there's a place for royalty-free music that's a little bit different? I think there's, there's a place for everything. And the hard part, of course, is getting the word out and having your, the audience that wants that stuff find you. So, yeah, but I, I definitely think that if you've got a, a you know, distinctive kind of a sound or, or, or a desirable kind of sound, if, if there are folks out there that want to use punk music in their shows... Why not? And the trick is getting a hold of them and letting them know you're there. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, which royalty-free sites do you like? You know, I'm I'm I don't really use them that much. Um, uh, you know, I know that uh, what's the name of it now? I'm I'm drawing a blank. It's part of that Envato marketplace. Um, I can't remember the name of the oh, Audio Jungle. That's what it is. I, I like the way they're set up because it's very easy to find the music that you want, but their license isn't quite, it's, it's one of the ones that I was concerned about that it doesn't allow for uh, multiple episode use that you would have to pay that fee for each time you use the song in a new episode or something like that. And by the way, you're not getting, you know, pop songs that are by famous artists. So you're getting um, library music created by people who are, you know, doing it for this purpose. And, uh, so you're never going to hear the Rolling Stones on a royalty-free uh, site, or or any you know famous acts aren't. They're not going to be there. Uh, associated production music, APM, is one of the biggest uh, production music libraries in the world, and they do have a royalty-free license. So you know it's a one-time purchase kind of a thing. Uh, they have some great music, and in fact, you see you hear a lot of their music in uh, popular television shows and films and things like that when when it isn't original composition for the show, and uh, uh, their their music library is extensive. Um, Omnitracks is another one, and uh, oh, there's a bunch of them out there. Uh, I, I think they're all pretty good, um, but, you know. But there are going to be different levels and different sort of qualities of music in them. So just got to shop around. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to like promo my site or anything, but like, no, I know. W- what do you think about a site that like mine? that has just like a blanket agreement. So it doesn't matter if you are like, there's another royalty free site. If you're like an influencer on YouTube, you have like over Mm -hmm. like so many followers then you pay like this rate. If you're like this type of commercial business. So I decided on my site just to simplify it. And like everybody just pays the same monthly subscription. I have some free music on my site. Do you think that that's a good business model? Yeah, I mean, I, I think time will tell, but it sounds like you know that simplicity makes it easy for people to understand what they're getting, and yeah, I like that a lot. Cool. And um, uh, do you do you have any royalty free sites that you don't like? Not to ask you to trash talk anybody, but is there any that you think are like the music is bad or the terms are bad or anything right. like that? 
you know, honestly, I don't have enough experience with them um, as a user to know what I like, you know, that I, that there's one out there that I don't like. Um, the, uh, no, I, I, I really don't have anybody I want to throw stones at. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I, get you. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, there, there are some out there that I've heard aren't so great and yeah, you really do just have to have, pay attention. I mean, that, the, the big ones, you, you know, the names show up pretty easily when you run searches. And, and I think if you're doing business with somebody who's been around a while and knows what they're doing, it'll show. Yeah. I, I just, some of the big, not to mention any names, but some of the big guys in this industry, I listen to their music. Like I've listened to a few hundred tracks and it's so boring yeah. to me. <laughs> I'm just like, well, and that's the nature of production. And by the way, let's be clear. We're talking about, you know, production music. Most, most of the royalty free catalog out there is production music. It's meant for generic sort of background, be the bed underneath a little, you know, an ad for the latest, uh, you know, penis pill or something like that. Right. Uh, and, and so it wouldn't necessarily be the edgy stuff that has real melody and real, you know, solidity to it. Um, that's a different thing. If you're looking for an intro or an outro for a show, or you're looking to, to, you know, have music you can talk about, yeah, you're going to be looking far and wide to find many of those kinds of things. So I think what you're describing as, as your site being more about the edgy original music, um, I think there's real value there. Cool. That's good to know. And uh, do you have a favorite podcast intro song that comes to mind or, in, or introduction in general, like that gets you like fired up when you listen to a podcast? You know, I, 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 most of the shows I listen to are using pretty generic production music, to be honest with you. But the story that I am, and the one that I'm aware of is uh, Dan Miller, who's an American um, uh, personal finance kind of guru and, and uh, uh, business, personal business coaching kind of guy. He has a show called The 48-Hour Workweek. And I think it's 48 Hours to the Work You Love, sorry. And his show uses um, uh, money, money, money. <laughs> I think oh, that's wow. the one. And apparently he early on in things just reached out to the owners of the copyrights and and said, "Can we make a deal? I'll give you 100 bucks a year." And they've apparently said yes and stuck by it all this time, wow. and, you know. He, yeah. <laughs> that's a really good rate <laughs> that, for that one. That's like <laughs> It's a yeah, it's a classic example of a of a real, you know, a, a, what I what I call a real song, a famous song being used in a podcast and it, I, I, I dare say it's the exception rather than the rule that you can do that. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm big into like skateboard videos uh, mm -hmm. from like even like 10, 20 years ago even. But uh, sure. I was listening to a podcast with the owner of uh, Zero Skateboards and he was just saying that one of his skaters really wanted the song, uh, Think I believe in a thing called Love from the band The Darkness. Mm -hmm. And it's a very, like, it was a big hit you know, like maybe like 12, 13 years ago, maybe even like 15 years ago. But, but he said that, uh, like he didn't pay a lot of money for music, but he paid, he wound up paying 10,000 for just like one quarter of the song. <laughs> and I was just like 10,000, yeah. like that's insane. Like that it would be that much money for like, not even yeah. the whole song, but is like, are we talking, is this the norm in, Music, uh, music publishing is it? Are they asking this kind of money for like big, like hit bands that even aren't even relevant today, really? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that you know that's what. Look, let's face it: the music publishing business is in the business of music publishers are in the business of exploiting music, making money from it. So anybody who wants to use a song that's published by a major publisher will 
you know, need to reach out and negotiate the deal. Now, it may be that he didn't do a very good job negotiating his deal, or maybe that he got an amazing package of rights. And so he's good. He never has to pay for music one again, and he could do his show for the next 50 years without ever paying another fee. So uh, it, it, it's hard to say it's a, it's a good price or a bad price. It's a high price. Right. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, you want to use a song like that in a feature film, you're going to pay more than that. Oh, oh, he used it in a uh, in a video, Gordon. Yeah, well, I'm just saying. So, yeah. you know, in one video, uh, <laughs> one skateboard video, that's, yeah, that's yeah, pretty that's intense. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess if there's a commercial market for the video and you're going to be selling it at, at a good price, uh, or if there's again, if it's a if it's an ad, if the video be essentially is an ad for product, then there's a commercial value to using that famous song. Um, and, and, you know, the, the publishers aren't in the business of turning people away because they're setting a, a, such a high price, but they have to set the price in accordance with what the use is going to really be. And so they, they ask the right questions, figure out what kind of, what kind of a use, how much are you using, how long, what's going on on the screen while we're using that music. Um, you know, and they, and they also, by the way, won't always give you a license. They may say, no, we don't like the portrayal that is being shown while you're playing that music. Classic example is, uh, you'll never see a, a, a film in which, um, you know, the characters are smoking weed or doing drugs and Jimi Hendrix music is playing in the background because the Hendrix estate won't allow it. Oh, wow. There, yeah, there's artistic control too. Well, I guess, you know, if it, if it did kill the guy, you know, so it's, I can see their point on that, you know, but yeah, wow, that's interesting. I had no idea. I'm a big well, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that makes sense to me. But also the Hendrix estate, I've heard that they're really ruthless about almost yeah. everything, you know, so, including yeah, with no, themselves. I mean, yeah, but, you know, look, here it is how many years later, and, and his uh, image remains oh, yeah. iconic and, and sort of unblemished, even though he, you know, you and I know he was associated with a drug culture of the time. Um, we don't want his music too deeply associated with that so that it loses any value other than that kind of portrayal. So, you know, they're being strategic about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe it's a smart move. Uh, What's your opinion on just the current absolute boom, especially in a post-COVID world? You know, it seemed like uh, when that first, like, well, I live in France, so we had a forced lockdown, like it's enforced by police, like out in the streets, but like... With these lockdowns happening everywhere and people uh, staying inside just to to follow the rules, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and not get people sick and whatnot, uh, they, um, I mean, it just there's even more of an insane boom in podcasting, and I don't, I mean, as somebody that's been a fan for well over a decade now, I'm kind of like. Uh, I think for a lot of people, it's kind of a flash in the pan kind of thing. And then a lot of people are really like, almost like using it, like they don't appreciate the original art form of this method of conversation and communication. So it's just kind of like, but what's your opinion just on the current boom? And do you think just for podcasting in the freedom of this medium, which you've been involved in for over a decade, uh, actually as a producer yourself, uh, do you think that it's a good thing that it's that this current boom, or do you think it's going to kind of destroy the industry? The you coolness. know, what we're seeing, 
Yeah. You know, look, I'm excited that audiences are finding podcasts. More people are listening, more people are consuming more podcasts. And that's great for everybody who, who, you know, has a message to put out there as a podcaster. I'm a little troubled by the growth and the, and the massive uh, expansion of the Spotify's and the other uh, major platforms. And they're sort of swallowing everything up. And there's this consolidation in the industry. You know, I mean, Spotify just announced another couple hundred million dollar purchase of a of another uh, podcast advertising company megaphone yeah megaphone right that's what, and and you know then that's a hosting company so does that mean that if your show's on megaphone now it's only going to be on spotify you know we don't know the answers to all these things yet what's troubling though is that we're seeing a a an industrialization of podcasting that had been up until a couple of years ago a very grassroots independent uh business or independent art form uh, there are still a lot of, in, in fact, I'll, I'll say it's probably still 95% of all the podcasts out there are independently produced, but we're, they're getting lost in the noise or, in, you know, they're lost in the, in the volume of these big announcements and these big companies doing everything and putting, pouring money into promotion and so on. It's why more audiences are coming, but those audiences are finding the big ones and not the little ones. And I think the real promise of podcasting is that it gives, a fairly level playing field to anybody who has a message to share or a, or you know a voice they want to give voice to they can do it and uh, the good news is that the independents aren't going anywhere it's just getting a little harder to find us amidst the sea of of the ones coming out of the big media companies absolutely we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back who wants an intro? Who wants a theme song? Who wants an intro for their podcast? Who wants an intro? Who wants a theme song? Who wants an intro for their podcast? Who wants an intro? Who wants a theme song? Who wants an intro for their podcast? Who wants an intro? Who wants a theme song? Who wants an intro for their podcast show? Lipdad.com and we are back in the air with Gordon Firemark, the podcast lawyer, podcast attorney or the podcast lawyer. I go by the podcast lawyer. The podcast lawyer. And so you're you're just in general like an entertainment law expert. Like so I initially looked you up for film purposes, just for YouTube. Uh-huh purposes and things like that yeah. but so is this kind of a new moniker or is have you had this podcast part of it i've been branding myself as the podcast lawyer for the last oh i don't know five or six years uh, on and off i mean uh, if, if i was talking to somebody about the theater i'd call myself the theater lawyer because i have that web domain as well <laughs> you know but i've been practicing entertainment law for uh, coming up on 29 years now and um, for me, that has been always working with the independent artists and creators, whether it's in the independent film or live theater. I worked in the music stuff for a while, but I sort of gave up on on record deals and publishing deals uh, in the late 90s when, uh, well, I had some experiences with my own clients who were not the most savory <laughs> kinds of people, and I just decided I, I needed less of that in my life. So for me, it's been independent film, live theater, a little bit of television work, and and as I became a podcaster, I started investigating and looking into the uh, you know the legal issues there. I wrote a book about it, and uh, um, and so you know sort of put myself out there as the guy to go to for podcasting, and uh, 
thank goodness it works. I'm very yeah. grateful that I'm able to get some people coming in and help them out. And I, I was just going to say, like over the past five months, you must be swamped with work. <laughs> I've been very fortunate that since the lockdowns happened here in in uh, the U.S., my business has fluctuated a little bit, but it, it's been relatively stable, and I've been able to uh, continue serving people who are, yeah, you're right, there's more content creation going on, and uh, people have the time and energy to devote to doing it right, and I'm I'm thankful they're coming to me to have them help, have some help with that. Yeah, and are, are you, um, you're out in L.A., right? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, like, L.A. right now... Uh, I mean, is it is it okay out there? Like, is it uh, a lot of people are moving well, to Texas? <laughs> if you follow like Joe Rogan's crowd and stuff mm -hmm. like that, so I mean, is LA like is it all right safety wise and all that? Well, I haven't been out of the house in seven months, <laughs> you know, other than to go to the grocery store. Um, the numbers here are climbing. I mean, California is still, um, you know, below the curve of, of of cases and increases and things like that uh, because we implemented you know, somewhat stricter measures early on, and we've sort of stuck with them. Um, but also, I think it's just the, not to be political, but sort of the, the more open-minded, progressive minds are willing to stay home for the good of society and, and that kind of stuff. And, and that's the California populace. But the numbers are climbing. It's getting scary again. And um, as winter comes, I think we're, we're in for a rough, a rough few more months before we get this thing turned around. Hopefully the the uh, vaccines come along and do the job and, and hopefully they find some good cures and treatments for the people who do get sick. Yeah. And I mean, not to focus on the, the societal aspect of it, yeah. but I mean, people aren't exactly getting along either in LA right now. Or anywhere, right? Or, or anywhere. A lot yeah. of division. Oh, thank you I for mean, clarifing that. Anywhere. Like I'm from Boston and initially in Boston here uh -huh. in Paris, people aren't, you know, nobody's getting along, but. Well, and I'll say that, you know, being locked down in, in these in these quarantine conditions, I mean, I've got three kids, four cats, a dog, and a wife in this house with me. Um, if somebody's not yelling at somebody else, it's an unusual moment. <laughs> you know, it, the stir craziness, the cabin fever really kicks in. So we all have to be more understanding and tolerant of what's going on for us all and accepting that, you know, this is a rough situation we're in. But uh, it'll get better eventually. We got to stick it out and still be here when it happens. Yeah, and I and I mean the the plus side is is that you get to spend more time with your kids, but the <laughs> the downside is the that downside you get is I got to spend more time with my kids. <laughs> you have to spend all the time with your kids, mm. you know. So it's like nah, they're, so, they're good kids, and they make a little too much noise for my taste sometimes. But let's cross all bear. Yeah, and are they into the arts, uh, the music, the the film, and stuff like that? You know, I wish they were more, and and they're still pretty young, so it's sort of hard to, to say. My oldest is, they're all creative in their ways, but um, no, I haven't I haven't seen a, a desire to do, I was, when I was a kid, I was into theater, and I was into music. We haven't seen that in our kids. We have a piano in the house, and nobody ever sits down and plays it. Um, probably because dad would yell, hey, stop it, it's too noisy. <laughs> but right. uh, um, uh, yeah, they, they haven't shown an interest enough to get us to have them have lessons and that kind of thing. So um, they all like to listen to music. They like to sing when they're when nobody's looking. And uh, uh, my daughter's very creative in terms of drawing and painting and that kind of stuff too. So they don't get they don't get into the, get into the TikToks and uh, all this other stuff. Well, their parents don't let them yet. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm 
43 years old and I'm addicted to TikTok. I mean, it's mm. it, just the way that they use music with the videos and the way that... So I found... I think that TikTok is a completely undiscovered medium. I know it's like, you know, it's through... I'm not sure like how many laws they're abiding by, like, you know, as far as what we are talking about, like copyright free music and things like this. And I don't understand all that, but I'm sure that they're not following all the rules with that. It just seems like it to me, but, but it's like with TikTok, like I found that it's amazing because these little sound clips with the video and the things that you can edit into these videos, the effects and whatnot, it's unbelievable. Like it's, it's such an artsy little fun. I'm not even going to call it a toy, but I don't get like, so I make videos for LinkedIn and like they're horrible. Like the tools that are available are, it's like white, like that jackass TV show, like text. And it's just like, and then everything about it is like the little fun little emojis that you can put in. Like don't, they're not animated, but TikTok's got all that. It's got filters, animations, everything you can put in there. But I mean, what's your opinion on this? I guess to take a quick segue away from podcasting, but what's your opinion on the way that TikTok uses music and the way you can kind of follow the music around from video to video and then trace it back to the initial, uh, I guess, creator of the sound who more or less could be ripping off that sound, but some, for some reason they just let it fly. I don't really, I, I'm not enough of a user. I, you know, I've looked at TikTok for about 15 minutes one day and I said, okay, this really isn't for me. <laughs> it's just not something I'm interested in. And I, I found it, um, uh, you know, I mean, there was a lot of curse words and a lot of, you know, uh, sort of obscene gestures in the first few videos that I saw. So that may have turned me off. My understanding is that they do have some music licensing in place, and so there there is a, a fair amount of of legal music use going on. But I I also see that there are people making TikTok videos of you know singing along with Lady Gaga or something like that, and there's no way that's licensed. Um, it, it tends to be short snippets, so they may be relying on the fair use exception here in the U.S. Or, and similar principles elsewhere. I'm not exactly sure um, how they're getting away with it, other than maybe they're just being allowed to get away with it for now. And uh, uh, the rights holders are biding their time, waiting for the opportunity to strike. So, I mean, this year with uh, our, our president threatening to ban TikTok and, you know, that kind of thing, why would you bother going and chasing after a company that's not going to be here in six months? Uh, now that things are changing, we may see uh, more action on that front. And I think you know they want to be uh, legitimate and legal here in the U.S. Uh, as more users adopted here. So we'll see. We'll see. I, my guess is they've got some valid ideas about the business plan. And uh, you know, like all these tech companies, and when Spotify started out, they didn't have a plan to pay for music, um, and they were, you know, eventually they realized they would have to, and that's probably what will happen with TikTok as well. Sure. Yeah. And speaking, I'm glad you brought up fair use, Gordon, because, um, fair use in regards to podcasts. So I probably shouldn't be admitting this on the, uh, on the, on the the phone, but I used to interview, (laughs) I used to interview on a podcast, I guess that's going to be listened to by millions of people, Gordon. So, Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's Joe Rogan move over, but like, I, it's funny because I have a couple friends in the punk rock world, like, and, 
uh, you know, basically they, uh, they kind of like don't care about any of this stuff. But what's, what's funny is that I actually used, I didn't buy the rights to it, but I used the music, their own music, like for songs that they wrote. Mm-hmm. But we're through the record company, like in the context of their podcast episodes. <laughs> and, yeah. And I didn't use the whole song. I used maybe like half the song, like nicely edited out and stuff like sure. that. But like, I, I'm sure I broke all kinds of rules about that. But I mean, if you're, what's the deal? And I think you covered this a little bit in podcastification, which folks, if you haven't heard it, it's probably the best podcast about podcasting that you can listen to. But like, you know, as far as fair use goes, like I've heard that 30 second rule. And then I know on YouTube, everybody gets away with like the 30 seconds of video clips and all this other stuff. But like, what, what is the real situation with that? Like in. So, yeah, there is no 30 second rule. That's a, a myth. There's no rule of thumb at all about fair use. Every single case of an infringement that wants to say it's fair use, you got to go through this formal four factor complicated analysis. There's no guarantee that it'll come out the same from episode to episode or use to use of, of a piece of, of music. Now, there are some guidelines we can, we can incorporate. Like, for example, when you're talking to the band about their music and you want to play a little bit of it as a sample to give people a taste and you're not using the whole thing, that's probably going to come in. Either it's coming in as a fair use or while the record label would have preferred that you ask them for permission, they probably would have given it. Um, and so they're not going to care too much. I mean, help. You know, it, it helps promote the band. And uh, the band was there when you incorporated this, or at least knew you were going to do it. And so they gave their approval. So, you know, it's sort of a no harm, no foul kind of a situation. That's getting away with it, not doing things right. On the fair use side, you got these four factors. How much did you use? What's the nature and the purpose and character of the use? And, and what's the impact on the market and, uh, and all of that? And, um, you know, that'll, that'll weigh out differently depending on each individual little bit that's used. My concern, my, well, first of all, the, the fair use exception is really a U.S. principle because it comes up under the First Amendment free speech principles. But, uh, so it only works in the U.S. and other countries it wouldn't. But also, by the time you get to have the conversation, a meaningful argument about whether it's fair use or not, you're paying lawyers to do that conversation for you. And you may very well be paying those lawyers to do it standing in front of a judge in a courtroom somewhere. That is not an inexpensive or easy or, or uh, comfortable uh, scenario to be in. Lawsuits are expensive, time-consuming, and uh, fraught with headaches. So while it may be you know, convenient mentally to say, oh, it's fair use, I'll just do it. Um, if you get caught, you know, if you're the one in a hundred that gets caught and someone wants to make an example of you, uh, it, it will be extraordinarily uncomfortable right and are you more on the defense or the prosecution side of that fence (laughs) like not that fence specifically i mean in general with your practice Uh, so i you know that's interesting part of me wants to say well i represent whoever is paying me to represent them (laughs) but most of the time for me that's the 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 later and, and by the way i don't go to court i don't do those kinds of disputes but I'm, I'm a deal guy. I'm, I do structuring and business and that kind of stuff. But when I'm asked, it's usually by a creator, uh, you know, podcaster or filmmaker, someone like that. How, how can I use this music legally? If, and I can't pay for it. 
Well, then, you know, fair use is one of the tools in our arsenal. And we do the analysis and we say, yeah, we think this would satisfy the fair use rules. For filmmakers, for TV shows and folks like that, they have to have insurance and they can't get the insurance unless they've got all the licenses lined up or they've got a lawyer's letter saying this appears to be fair use and here's why. Um, and so some, a lot of the work that I do is, is rendering those kinds of opinions when, when asked. Okay, great. Uh, actually, could I seek a quick piece of legal advice on the, on the air from you? Uh, yes, with the caveat that what I say is going to be <laughs> worth exactly what you're paying for it, and that I'm not giving legal advice to the audience and, uh, out there in general, nor, you know, nor to you. I mean, I'll probably say you should speak to a lawyer to specifically look at your situation, but if you want to run something by me in a sort of hypothetical terms, I'm happy to give it some thought. Well, yes, this is a strict, folks, this is a strictly hypothetical, like uh, allegedly this may have happened to a friend of mine. So I filmed a, a video, there are these goats here in Paris, yeah. and they're right near a busy train station, like on the side of a, a hill, right yeah. where the train goes by. And I would drive by these goats on the train, and I had no idea like what the purpose of these goats, like why they were there, right? So then I asked this guy in an Indian restaurant, and he told me that they're actually owned by the city, and they're like landscapers yeah. for the grass and the, the shrubbery on the side of this mountain uh, yeah. next to St. Lazare. And I found that fascinating. So I got all the footage. Like I went right up close to where the goats kind of like come. It's very rare that they come by the fence. But like I got, it was like a three month project for me filming. Yeah. So after all this, I finally wanted to interview the people that uh, handle the goats, I guess, you know, make the decisions. So then I went to the city and the lady spoke English there. And, uh, and she's like, well, she's like, you need a permit to film the goats. And she goes, then when you have a permit, then you can make an appointment to talk to a city worker. And, and so, when I release that, like on YouTube, could I get in trouble for that? Well, first of all, that sounds like a very French approach to things. <laughs> but uh, uh, that you, you know, now that you've filmed it, by the way, you need to ask for permission for the permit, and we'll see. Uh, could you get into well? So, okay, I'm an American lawyer. I'm going to base my answer on what American law would be. Uh, if you didn't have the permit that you needed, and you had done, you know, you essentially violated a law by showing up and filming something. Uh, the city could theoretically use that film as evidence that you did this act. Um, and so, yeah, I guess you could theoretically be on the wrong end of, you know, getting fined or something like that. Um, here in the U.S., I, I think that you would have some strong First Amendment arguments that you shouldn't have had to get a permit to make this film in the first place, that if you were standing on a, you know, a, a place that was accessible to the general public, you didn't need a permit to, you know, once you cross over the fence line, you're on, on restricted land somehow. That might be a little different. But if you were filming from a public place and things that were easily visible from the public place, I would, I would strongly argue that you didn't need any special permission. Uh, the trick is that you got to get the, the interview subject to agree to give the interview. And if he's in charge of issuing permits, he's going to have some concern. <laughs> he or she is going to have some concerns about, uh, um, projecting that it's okay to ignore the permit rule, that kind of thing. Did you so hear that, French lawyers? That's some advice from the entertainment lawyer.
from America going, no, it's not. It's non-binding legal advice, folks. Non- well, but again, here in the that's the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, that goes a long way into protecting your right to go and film public acts and public events and things like that. I don't know. I, I, my understanding is the French law is similar in, in its uh, protection of press and speech kinds of freedoms, but uh, I, I can't speak to those things directly. Yeah, that that's... That's great. Uh, do you know of the um, the YouTuber, the Twitch guy? His name is Kit Boga, and he actually does these pranks on scam artists that call from India. Have you ever heard this guy oh. or seen him? No, but I love the concept. It's a great concept, and he's got like he can he pitch changes his voice so he sounds like a little old lady and stuff. Oh yeah, it's yeah. A, it's amazing. Like I hope this guy's making a lot of money because he. <laughs> He completely takes these guys for a ride, and like he actually designs fake um, uh, desktops on his computer and fake banks and stuff, so they can like log yeah. into like his bank because that's what they do. They change the HTML around on the computer to make oh, it wow. look like you know like they deposited all this money into your bank account by accident, mm -hmm. and then when you, it's a long-winded kind of scam. But he completely takes them. Like there was one case, he took this guy for like a three-day ride. <laughs> like pretty much wow. it's like nine hours a day like it was like 27 hours of like scamming the scammer so it, oh. could he get in trouble for that do you think oh gosh um you know maybe there's a small chance that you know i mean here there are some places where it's illegal to record a conversation unless the all the parties consent to the com recording uh, so if he's doing that, it might be a violation, but they'd have to come to come in and say, wait a minute, I was there. I, I'm the scammer. <laughs> I was doing something illegal and he recorded it. You should punish him. <laughs> you know, that's sort of a, right. we call that an unclean hands kind of a, uh, a defense or, or whatever. Um, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I, there's sometimes some invasion of privacy kinds of things. Although again, if somebody calls you and uh, opens up the conversation, um, you know, uh, making an example of them is, again, free speech, First Amendment here in the U.S., very powerful, very, very strongly protected. Absolutely. And uh, so in podcasting, what do you think the future of the podcasting industry is? Well, I think for the next few years, we're going to see more of this consolidation and um, industrialization of things. I think we're also going to see more and more advertising revenue coming into the space, uh, people, uh, you know, as podcasting grows in popularity, sponsors are interested in reaching audiences. It's one of the great things about it is that it's very narrowly tailored audience. You can have, you know, it's not broadcasting, it's narrow casting. You can reach, uh, you know, women in their early fifties who love to knit and have, um, you know, allergies to peanuts. <laughs> you could probably track that narrow of a, of an audience. Yeah in the podcasting space and send them ads that are really, really well tailored to them. That's the part of the huge promise of this. And so advertisers want to spend their money wisely and they're going to, they're going to invest in this more and more uh, on the listener side. I think we're going to see, um, smaller shows going by the wayside, uh, a lot of pod fading, you know, the folks that don't make it past seven or 10 episodes because right now in the quarantine mode, everybody's got the time on their hands and they're sitting there looking at a, at a computer saying, I can do that. I can make a recording. And so you start up a podcast and you, you give it a shot. But as busy, life gets busy again, um, I think some of those will fall by the wayside as well. And, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, the, the OGs, the, the, the folks that have been doing it a while and kind of know the ropes will keep at it. And, um, 
the voices will continue to be heard. So I, I'm bullish about podcasting. I think it's a it's a great medium and a great culture. And and all the folks out there who do podcast. I mean, you know, I'm friends with so many people uh, in the podcasting community, and I really like these people. Everybody's got something important to say and share, and it's a very cooperative, collaborative feeling among everybody. So I'm very excited about it. Great. And so that'll conclude this episode, this interview with Gordon Firemark, the podcast lawyer. Thanks for having me on the show, Rob. Yeah, and thanks so much for dropping by, Gordon. I appreciate it. I had a lot of questions about royalty-free music and podcasting in general and how they related to each other, and I think you did a great job of uh, answering those questions, which I would expect from the entertainment law uh, uh, lo- the entertainment lawyer that I see the most on YouTube talking about everything in regards to video and You know what's funny is I haven't made a new made-for-YouTube video in like two or three years. Those things are out there and they're getting views and it's great. Uh, I I really, when I started doing them, you know, I was going to do, I was batching them, doing three or four or five at a time and and releasing them and then I just sort of let it go. And uh, I actually have a a, a virtual assistant in the Philippines who's my editor, basically. And she's sitting around going, what am I supposed to be doing with my time, man? <laughs> you know, I'm paying her every week and she's not editing any video. She does other stuff, but uh, I should I should get back to answering more questions and doing more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks and for I, the kick in the pants. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks. And um, again, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And folks out there, uh, make sure to check out the Entertainment Law Review podcast. And that's Entertainment um, Law Update. Ah, uh, Law Update. I, I wrote down review for some reason. It's the Entertainment Law Update podcast, and that's on Apple, uh, iTunes, podcasting, uh, uh, most what of other the platforms. directories have us. Yeah. Okay, great. And, uh, thanks again, Gordon. Have a great night. Thanks, you, Rob.